Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Hey guys, welcome back to Contractor Evolution. This is Benji. Uh, as you've grown your business, you may have noticed that there are certain sizes or stages that feel worse than others, way worse. There are times when the scale of your business seems to be in a sweet spot, you could call it. And then there are other times when you feel like you're stuck in purgatory. You've grown your team, your top line, but your actual profits have stubbornly stayed the exact same. And sometimes they even deteriorate and get worse. Today's conversation is about these business purgatories, what causes them, the revenue ranges they rear their ugly heads in, and most importantly, what to do to pass through them as quickly as possible. To help guide us is a great guest, Dan Plata of Blue Skies Admin Services. Now, Dan actually comes from the home service space. In fact, he still owns seven businesses within his Blue Skies family of companies. He's been through these purgatories firsthand, and he's now seen the pattern repeat itself countless times through the businesses of his clients. Knowing that there are certain no man's lands along the growth trajectory of your company means you don't get caught off guard when they happen and hopefully you can move through them a little faster. So whether you're just starting out and haven't hit a business purgatory yet or you've been through them all and can look back at the painful lessons you learned along the way, I'm sure you'll find this conversation with Dan both relatable and funny. So let's dive in. You're watching Contractor Evolution where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Dan Plata, welcome to Contractor Evolution. How are you, my friend? Benji, I'm crushing it, man. Thanks for having me. How the heck are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really, really well. Matt and I just had a really delicious Ukrainian lunch. I've had some pierogies and some sausage, some borscht. I'm, I, like, I'm glad you started elaborating because I was like, what the hell's a Ukrainian lunch? I'm, I'm in peak form. Yeah, there you go. So it's <laughs> yes, great cuisine. There's a nice restaurant across the street. But that's not what this podcast is about. What this podcast is going to be about is this idea of purgatories, which I'm really excited to dive into because I think a lot of people have experienced this and we're going to give some real language and labels and data to kind of uh, give, provide context and color for, I think, the lived experience of many contractors as they've scaled their business. But let's just do a, a quick backstory on you. Um, that'd be some of our listeners for whom you're a friendly, a familiar face and name. But for those that that aren't, uh, that don't know you. Tell us a bit about Blue Sky, your story up until now, and then along the way, while you're just kind of describing that, if you could share, you know, where and how you first observed this idea of purgatories as well. Yeah, man. Well, I think just to like sum me up, I'm an anomaly in and of myself. I'm just a beer drinking redneck from central Wisconsin, but I'm also a finance nerd. And I, I, I like, wow. I appreciate that. Those two things just generally breed. don't go together. Yeah, so yeah. I embrace it. Yeah, um, you're a unicorn. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm just a weirdo and I love it. Um, blue skies. So, so blue skies started as a, a project, an experiment of compiling a bunch of home service businesses together and it didn't work very well. I actually, I'm selling a business at the end of this month, and I'm hoping I, I met with a with an NFL quarterback this morning that's potentially going to buy a former NFL quarterback that's potentially going to buy one of our other businesses. So we're exiting some of our home service businesses um, because it was not the best strategy in the world. But as a result of aggregating a bunch of home service companies, we also found these skill sets that we needed to have behind the scenes, recruiting, bookkeeping, marketing, where we could do them digitally and remotely. And I just happen to be a finance nerd. Um, so we built all these bookkeeping capabilities. And like a lot of us started our businesses, um, by accident, we started doing them for other people at mm -hmm. some point in time, I think it was like 2018. Uh, and it's now our most profitable, best scaling, most fun business that we've ever run. So I'm just I'm just that nerd. I'm the the bookkeeping finance nerd. And uh, I don't know if you caught it, but I'm, it's happy hour here. So I'm having a bush light because that's how I do it. 
So back to the um, back to the like the home service side. Like you, tell us a bit about those businesses. Was it? I, I believe it was like window cleaning and pressure washing, the exterior maintenance, that type of stuff. And I believe you had locations all over, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So we had a few different exterior cleaning companies. Where I'm in Minneapolis, but we had businesses in Cincinnati, Ohio, and Portland, Oregon. Um, they're all kind of in the northern tier. And so we were very seasonal dependent, trying to clean the outside of stuff. And I think in 2016, we were like, we ought to clean some stuff on the inside too. Mm-hmm. So we started buying maid service companies and we aggregated quite a few of those and then hit this realization point where we're like, oh, but if our manager leaves, we're kind of screwed. Um, and so we these, had a few these managers were leave. corporately owned, to be clear. These were not franchises, these were all not yours. Not franchises. And- yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Our goal was to to not franchise. We wanted to be the anti-franchise, which was a terrible idea. There's a reason why there's a lot of franchises out there. Like you need the systems and the model. And I think most important, you need the owner. Mm -hmm. So the businesses that we're keeping of that are all ones where we have a business partner. That's the operator. And so we can be that we can be the CFO and be a resource and be some help. But unless we have a great operator, who's also a business partner, um, we out. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the, uh, Blue Sky has now evolved into basically. Uh, you guys do what? What are the main services that you guys offer? Just remind me again. It's it's booking and accounting, some recruiting stuff. What else? That's it. That's like the focus right now. I do mainly um, for home services. I'm all for home service companies. Um, if you're if you're trading labor and expertise for money, you're our type of folks, right? Um, we can do our stuff for, for some white collar spaces. Like it's not the, the business model of a chiropractor is not all that different from a painter. They're trading labor and expertise for money. The bills they pay are a little bit different, but their business model is generally the same. You got your niche. Yeah. Yeah. And at what, but we like our blue collar, we like our blue collar folks. And at what point along the way did you first observe this idea of, of actually first, you know, I'll let you describe it. Cause you know, when we say purgatories, what do we mean by that? And when did you first start noticing this? Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't, the, the word purgatory just like struck me as the term for this period in our business where like, it's not, it's not like the, we're not ready to sell it and shut down necessarily, but, but we thought it was going to be going well. And yet we're like sitting here treading water and not sure where the hell all of our money's going, but it's not ending up in our bank account anymore. Like it used to maybe, or like we thought it would. And so it's just this uncomfortable period of time. And we think there's a reason why we keep pushing, but we don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like Mm -hmm. it feels like we're just not in love with our businesses anymore. And I think when we go through those, there's like multiple of those in our business. And I think we, when we go through those, we just feel like lost and lonely. But everybody else has been through all of those things, too. It's like a commonality amongst business owners. And I, I realize it with our bookkeeping clients because I'm like watching them go through these steps and being profitable. And then all of a sudden, they're not profitable anymore, but they're working twice as hard. They're working twice as many hours. They're doing all these things to try to scale their business. And all of a sudden, all their money's gone but nobody told them that was going to happen. And I, and we were talking about this earlier and I, I was thinking about it literally when I went down to grab these bush lights, what I, what I tend to see is there's a lot of influential people in the home service space, like different industries have different. There's like the guy in landscaping that's super influential. There's the guy in pressure washing that's super influential. And they generally all talk about these levels you're supposed to hit. You're going to level up. You're going to like get to this next year. You're going to be a million dollar business. You're going to be a $5 million business. Um, And they paint this super sexy picture. And therefore, like everybody that's following them wants to get to those levels and go through these levels. The funny thing is the levels that they all talk about are the the, when you're at the peak of that level and what it looks like. Mm -hmm. But they never talk about the pain and suffering and the shittiness that happens before you get to that level and what it takes to get there. Right. And so that those are the the steps that I call the purgatories. And I'm not trying to say I'm a glass hemp, half empty sort of dude. Um, but the plot of family does have a motto, which is uh, tough cookie, smart cookie and problem solver. And then like, problem solver cookie doesn't sound good. I just didn't know a way to incorporate a cookie again in that. But um, I like to solve problems and to, to get to those levels. There's a lot of problems you got to solve. And so 
somebody ought to be talking about these purgatories and what the hell you do about it, because that's the thing we all need to like get through the fastest. We can't just live at the level. We got to like live through this purgatory and get through it to get to that next level. Um, if I can summarize my, like my own understanding of this, of this whole, uh, of this, this whole concept is that there are certain stages in business that you really don't want to be at for too long. It's kind of a no man's land. Your business is mm-hmm. at that point in its trajectory, big enough to be a whole bunch of new headaches that you're pretty ill-equipped to handle and they're new for you, but not big enough to spend bit back the net profit that makes it worth being there in the first place. And I know, you know, I know for me going, going back a few years now, like my, my first year in business was actually pretty good, like better than I thought. And then I thought my, and my second year was the absolute worst I'd ever been through ever. And I was like, all yeah. the stuff that we're going to talk about today is for, for all of these reasons, you know, you don't have, you don't have a good grip on cost of goods sold. You don't understand your marketing. Your overhead gets really, really inflated and and fat and happy and not particularly mm-hmm. productive. And then you kind of have to go back to the drawing board and and push through it and get to the other side. So can we? Can you maybe just summarize? Like I think the idea that why I wanted to have you on in in my mind is like let's talk about these stages, what causes them, but most importantly how to get through them. And the reason we're going to have that conversation is because these are not areas. These are not zones you want to linger in. You don't want to hang out here for too long. You're going to go through it, but let's talk about how to get through it as quickly as you can to get to the other side, which is more fun and more profitable and all those good words. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I, uh, so, so there's a couple things going on there. One is, um, like as you're going into these things, man, it sure as hell helps if you know you're about to go into it. Yeah. Right. If if these things like catch you by surprise, they're that much more uncomfortable because you didn't know you were going to start losing money, right? It's it's one thing if you're like, you know, and and to, to me, I, like I'm married, I got a few kids, and so everything that happens in my business also happens to my wife, whether she likes it or not. Like it's just you know part of the life of being a small business owner is that your family's going along for the ride. Um, and they're super supportive, but all of a sudden when like the thing that provides the income ain't providing the income and you're working twice as hard so they see you less, you start getting some eyebrow raises and a little bit what of like are we what doing the hell's here? going on here. Yeah. Now yeah. now like that's super uncomfortable. It's way more uncomfortable if if your spouse didn't know that was about to happen. If you prefaced it and said like, Hey, I'm gonna start going after this thing and here's what's about to happen. Like, are you with me? Are we gonna do this thing? Then it feels a whole lot different. You you had said too, like what causes what what causes us to go into these things. And I really think in any of these purgatories we're gonna talk about, the cause tends to be the same, which is we have success at a certain level. We hear people in our industries talking about what's possible, and we're entrepreneurs. So hell yeah, we're going for that because like I'm not content, right? There's there's thing there's bigger things out there for me, and I'm gonna go get those bigger things. And we naively say, I'm at this level and I'm making this amount of money. So if I double my business, I'm gonna make twice as much. Yeah. Yeah. And we and we go. And we just go. Because that's how we're wired. So that that tends to be the cause to push us into each purgatory. Even even after we've been through one, we still get surprised by the next one. It's the the whole thing where like humans don't remember the pain and suffering they went through, right? Like women wouldn't have a second child if they really remembered how painful it was having their first child. We we do a really good job of forgetting about how painful stuff was. Totally. And we'll and we'll like sign back up for it again later. Well, so let let's dive into a few of these. Let's dive into a few of these stages. The first one, uh, we just we're just gonna we're gonna do them numbered. So purgatory stage one, and this is um from your vantage point on the like home service businesses particularly ones with a small average job size this seems to happen around $300,000 a year in revenue for larger for for contract if you do a like mid or, or large average job size business you're a, you're a construction company landscaper painter um these the number is about a million dollars a year. Now I need to preface this when we give these revenue numbers. Somebody somebody's listening is like, no, 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 you got it wrong. It was one point five for me, or it was eight hundred thousand for me. These are not perfect, and it's really difficult for me to give you exact 
data for the many different industries we speak to. So we're trying to do it in broad strokes. Small average job size, about 300K a year. Mid to large average job size, somewhere around a million dollars a year in revenue. You're going to hit purgatory stage number one. And I want to know um, from the the data that you have access to what are the the larger pat what causes this stage what's like what's at what's at the root of it yeah so and like you painted it's a it's a broad spectrum of revenue depending on your business model but the things happening in the business are the same whether Pretty you're consistent. a painter or a landscaper yes. or a general contractor or a maid service it tends to be that when you first start out it's you and maybe a helper and you might use a subcontractor or two here and there, but you're a bunch of the labor. And it tends to be that when we are in that phase of our business, we don't really take a paycheck. We just take distributions. So our wages look free. Right. When we look at our profit and loss statement, we think we're richer than shit. Right. Because because our like we're the number one cost, but we're not reflected in there. And you don't have the overhead. You hardly have to market because your business grows more than you can handle with just word of mouth. Your business is super profitable, or at least it looks super profitable. And you're like, man, if I'm making this much when we do a million dollars of revenue, how much am I going to make when we do $3 million of revenue? It's going to be triple, right? It mm-hmm. might even be more because we might get economies of scale or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Mm-hmm. And so you start taking this leap. You're going to start hiring more people. You're going to start marketing harder. You might need some admin help. Your spouse is maybe sick of your employee or two or three now, like coming to your house all the time. That's a, that's a true story. Uh, we uh, Digression, story time. I have had employees living in my basement. Uh, I think Demi was the last one. Multiple times we've had employees that lived at our house. Uh, purgatory. Um, Seriously. But you're going to... Seriously, didn't even pay me rent. Yeah, it's a very I, I, compelling offer for for your employer brand. It's I don't, I might I might rethink. You can live here for free. Yeah, yeah, just work hard. Bad deal for you. <laughs> that's that's when you know the labor market's real tight. Yeah, when, totally. you, when you're like, hey, I'll house you for a I'll little bit. You I know also. you're. I mean, the she was going through a hard time. She's going through a hard time. Um, but so so. so you start adding these things. Like I said, you're, you're going to have to add employees. You're maybe getting out of the field, which is always kind of a funny spot because the thing in the field early on is still the job that pays, pays the most amount of money in your company. Like that's the guy that gets the biggest paycheck, but you tend to leave that and you go do the office stuff, which tends to be the lowest paycheck and probably the thing you can replace the, the easiest, but there's like this value of trying to get out of the field a little bit that, that like we feel pressure to get off the truck. Yep. So you got that going on and now you have way more mouths to feed. So you're spending a bunch on marketing because you got to go double your revenue because you just hired twice as many people. And then you have an admin person to try to answer the phone and and you rent a space, right? Because you're trying to, you know, carve something out so people aren't stopping at your house. So it's basically a, it- a swelling, a swelling of expense categories that you weren't, re- you kind of maybe had a rough idea in your mind that, oh, I'm going to need to spend more on X, Y, Z, but you didn't really understand the scope or the scale or, or the details or how, how many different things there were that, that were going to be now demanding, uh, demanding dollars from your business. And that really catches up with you. When you yep. when you're working with the businesses that you are, are there practical steps for this that's that are kind of specific to this purgatory stage one that owners are at and, and how they can get through it a little more a little more quickly? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is just making sure the work in the field stays efficient because we take for granted how efficient we are. And again, we weren't taking a paycheck. So we don't really, we don't even like have a production rate mechanism or metric to know how good we were. Um, we just hire people and then complain that they're not very good because of course they're not going to be as good as we were. Like this is our livelihood, right? Um, so I think just making sure you have a system to dial in your cost of goods sold from how you buy the materials to how you pay the labor so that you know, when you go out to do this job, you always make X percent of it. If that percent moves around, it's, it's really hard to scale a business when you don't know how much money you're going to make when you go out to do a job. So like super, super important. Step number one is just getting that cost of goods sold dialed in. Um, one little like pro tip that I have found with people that get through this purgatory the fastest 
Um, I haven't done this one myself because I've made this mistake over and over again the hard way and never learned this lesson. But then I started seeing other people do it this way. I was like, oh, that's the way to do it. Um, rather than them hiring more technician help and them going to the office, they'll hire admin help first and they'll stay in the field. And it works well for two reasons. One is it's easier to find a good qualified admin person that's reliable than it is to find a good qualified technician that's reliable and can do stuff as good as you can. So it's an easier person to find in the labor market today. Um, they generally cost less. What you pay the technician is more yep. than what you'd pay this office person. And if you hire a technician, they need 40 hours a week right now. Right. This is their full time job. This is their thing. This is what they need to do. This is their livelihood. So it's like zero to 40. You can hire a part time office person for 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week. And oftentimes you can hire them for 10 hours a week and they'll scale up to 40. Those so, are really so good points. Hey? That's, that's a really, really. So it's it's a little counterintuitive. Most people at that stage would be like, I need help. And their mind would just go, well, let's get me a helper or let's build a crew so that I can get through more capacity, which is not necessarily wrong. But you're saying you've seen mm -hmm. some businesses be really successful in bringing on part time office or admin help because it's cheaper. It's more widely available and you can you can ramp them up more slowly because they can often begin part-time and then increase from there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, All those reasons. So okay. I like, I like that one, What um, else? which kind of goes, which goes to the next point, which is just like, don't rush to get off the truck. Don't abandon the thing that makes you the most amount of money because part of running a business is still that it's your livelihood and it has to be profitable. It has to put money in your pocket. So, um, I'm an outdoorsman. I hunt and fish all the time. There's a lot of sayings around there like don't don't leave fish to go find fish or don't leave deer to go find more deer. Don't leave the money to go try to find other money. Like stay where the money is at that point in time. Like you're printing a lot of money. Um, one of the things that we all this is just, this is just like a owner operator tendency. I was going to say flaw. It's not a flaw. It's just a tendency that we have that we got to be careful of is we love our toys we love our new tools and sexy trucks and we get caught chasing new work that requires new tools. Mm -hmm. and, and if you put your manufacturing hat on, right, a manufacturer like runs their equipment at like 80% capacity all the time, mm -hmm. maybe 90%, but they don't run it 24 seven because they need downtime for repairs and maintenance and stuff like that. Um, if you're buying equipment and you're running it like 20% of the time, that's a problem, right? right? Then you just have a bunch of shit laying around. You should go sell more of the jobs for the equipment you already have, not go chase a bunch of jobs that require a bunch of new equipment to knock them out. There'll be time for that in the future. I feel personally on, attacked. I still have Graco sprayers and like really, really expensive ladders. Uh, I've got a few like really, really high PSI pressure washers a genie lift like there's a graveyard of things that are that I you know bought because the contract that I had just sold demanded we do it yeah. and then you're For like the well I'm going to right I'm going to develop this whole new division now this is this is going to open so many doors for me it's like no like you have your bread and butter this is now just going to end up collecting dust and rust somewhere yep. in, in, in a yep. backyard. Yeah, that's a really good point. So you have to, you have to watch, you, you know, you can justify it to yourself because, well, it's technically a business expense and, you know, we're going to use it to do this job that we just got. And so this is a good decision, but you're making the case. If you want to get through stage number one, it's, it's absolutely you know, delay those purchases as much as possible and, and make sure that you're like really ready to like endeavor. It's nothing wrong with like investing in equipment or new services or new things that you can offer to the marketplace, but make sure that it's not just like a one-off off. Um, there's a plan yeah. in place to actually do that into the foreseeable future. That's that's kind of what you're saying. Now, the, the, we're recording this on October 27th, and the timing of this is super important because right now a bunch of people are starting to see like their net income, and they're like, ooh, I better start spending some money so I can pay the government less, right? Um, and so that this is like the time where we get sucked into this trap of like, I better buy stuff for the projects that I might sell next year. Um, and And Thank God my wife isn't like this, but I did date some gals back in the day where they loved to shop and save money, right? They oh, yeah. brag about how much money they saved. And so it's I'm crazy. like, wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait. Like, so you're telling me we're going broke saving money is that's what I'm hearing. And, and we'll do the same thing with the equipment, right? We're so concerned with paying the government less that we will go broke 
yeah. buying new toys that we can't make profitable because we don't have enough work like to use all those toys, but but we really just don't want to pay it to the government. So we all get to lose. We're we'll, we'll sink the ship. We're yeah. all going to lose. Um, it's just, it's I, like, I'm not saying don't go buy new stuff. It's just to like, be aware that you don't get sucked into that trap. Um, one, so, so yeah, you had mentioned it, but just like, keep throwing the fastball, do your bread and butter. Yeah. Keep doing the thing that you can sell the things that you already have and that, you know, you can knock them out in your sleep and that, you know, how much money you make when you go do that job, focus on those at this stage. Don't try to be the jack of all trades. There's mm-hmm. a time where it makes sense to add new services. This ain't it. Um, the last little point I would make, I see people like double down on infrastructure, tons of software, a big facility, because they're told like, if you build you'll it, they will come it. and you'll, yeah. you'll fill it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true because you just like totally handcuffed yourself and now you don't have a choice. So maybe if that's the kind of operator you are where you like need to put yourself in a shitty spot yeah. and you're back against the wall to fight your way out of it, then like go for it. But always keep in mind, your customers don't give a shit about how big and nice your shop is. Not at all. Your employees do, but you won't get paid for it. Yeah. The only way you get paid for it is an employee retention. So it's a thing to think about, but the longer you can delay that infrastructure and keep your spouse okay with employees stopping by your house, the better, because that just means you're stockpiling the cash to go make necessary investments that are going to have a faster return than a huge shop. So if you dial in your cost of goods sold by getting your estimating and your pricing system right and putting in some cost controls, you bring on some part-time admin help. You don't rush off the truck immediately just because some business guru at a conference told you you need to. You delay some of those infrastructural investments. Uh, You avoid the shiny objects and you keep doing what you're really good at. You can theoretically move through this stage much faster and get to a point where you're flush again, where the... Where, where growing your revenue, like your top line actually does trickle down to your bottom line rather than making it worse, which is, which is kind of the point of purgatory stage one. Purgatory this, stage so two, go ahead. One, one, thing, one thing I want to hit on there is the, what, what I see, and I've seen this with some of our bookkeeping clients where they hadn't seen me give this presentation or heard me talk about this thing, is I have seen people go from making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to zero mm. within months, mm. right? Because because they started making those investments and they got carried away because their eyes are bigger than their stomach and they forgot that like they still also need to make money now because their family's dependent on mm-hmm. it. Now, I'm not saying like I also have some bookkeeping clients that I think they knew that was going to happen and they've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars intentionally and they're like I'm a, I'm just going to spend my way through the first three of these purgatories. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer, but um, I have seen businesses get caught in the trap unintentionally. Yeah. And, and it is, and it's not just like, oh, my profitability went down. It's like, I am losing money now. Totally. And, and that's a weird business to run when you're like, oh, I like, I'm putting everything into this and it's actually costing me and my family money. Well, it's, it's just- not super comfortable. Yeah, it's just a it's just a really weird experience to watch your top line go up and your bottom line go down. You're like, there's just something mm-hmm. intuitively like unfair about that. But as we've it's just discussed, there's some it's super real reasons why that happens. Purgatory stage two, you would say for small average job size businesses is somewhere around the $600,000 a year mark. For mid to large average job size, it's going to be around three. I think a lot of the painters say for them, it's around 2.5 for construction. It's more like 3.5. Again, there's some variance, but let's say in broad strokes around $3 million a year. What, you know, is there anything as far as root causes, what creates purgatory stage two, is there anything different from stage one or is it just kind of the same idea? Your expenses swell in a way that you weren't expecting. They tend to swell because now your team members start spending your money. And the processes, when you were going through kind of purgatory one, you still had your hands on everything. Every dollar in the business that got spent, you kind of was a decision you made. What's that? Was a decision you made every, every, every dollar in the business got spent. Was it, was a, was a shot that you called. Whereas now it's, you know, some of that decision-making is being made by other people. Yep. Yeah, you start to have managers, right? Because you get, you know, a few technicians on a team and you can't oversee them and the office person and maybe the salesperson now. 
And so, and you also have a high performer that's doing well at the task. And so you want to like keep them and retain them so they don't leave. And so you're like, wow, I should make you a manager because you must need to be promoted now because that's how the world works. And so it tends to be that in this stage, we're putting in place maybe a manager or we're hiring an office manager to like run the whole show in the office. And maybe there's like an assistant that reports to them or something. And so other people start spending our money and other people are doing the training. We can't train everybody anymore. Mm-hmm. And it generally happens that when we first started training people, we're just like, come along with me and I'm just going to mind dump on you and teach you everything that I know. Yeah. And now the manager we put in place can't do that. Right. Yeah. Like we could do that because this is the thing that we know and we've sort lived our of. life by. You could you got away with it. You got away with the old like welcome to the shit show. I hope you learn something approach to training. Yep. Yep. And now you got to be intentional about it, but you haven't built the systems yet. And yep. now you're asking your manager to build the system because you don't want to build it. You haven't right. had the time to build it. So I think it's a little bit of that. It's new people and new roles, which is great, like new opportunities for them. But they're going to screw stuff up just like you have. And you can't be there to solve everybody's problems. And so when you're over here solving these problems and spinning these plates, then a new set of problems develops behind you because the person that's in charge of that stuff isn't properly equipped yet. And like you'll get through it, but it, it starts to become a people problem because there's too many problems in the business and you haven't leveled your people up enough to solve those problems for you, which just means they're all your problems at the end of the day. And there's not enough of you to go around anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if you're, if you're, you look at those revenue ranges and just going off of my own experience, working with our members, like that is right around that stage, you are now going to have, you might have estimators and salespeople, probably only a couple, not a super developed team, but a couple, uh, you might, you'll have like, you know, crew members, crew leaders, maybe foreman, project managers, your org chart is beginning to become hierarchical rather than this sort of like single celled amoeba, which it used to be. Mm-hmm. And at that stage, um, you're likely, you know, not that great at, at, at creek, um, keeping that structure rigid and efficient in production. And, and, and so for those reasons, things get really expensive and, and you enter purgatory stage two. What are the, with the members that get through it quickly, what are they doing? So well, I want to hit on just a couple of things that I see that'll inform us of what to do to get through it. But a couple of the other things that like increase that cost there is they're like doubling down on some marketing and they hit diminishing returns on their marketing because they maxed out the thing that really worked well, or they think they did, but they got like, they keep putting money into like what they know, but there's nothing left there type yeah. of thing. Yep. And, and like now they're really adding that infrastructure because now their spouse convinced them to get a shop. So now you pretty much always have a shop at this range and that's heavy. Right. And you got two people in the office and that's heavy. So they're like, you have now made those infrastructure investments um, and they haven't started paying off yet because to what you mentioned, it's just like clunky right here. We mm-hmm. haven't we haven't built this type of thing before. We haven't solved these problems. So now to get through it, I, I still go back to, and this is like a double double check yourself here. But you really got to have your cogs dialed in at this point. If 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 you're hitting level two, and your production manager or your operations manager doesn't know how you run that cog system of making sure the label the labor is efficient and dialed in of knowing how to buy the supplies and where they go and making sure that there's no waste or you know like efficient routing if you're you well know, it's doing not just jobs in a day. you're not just double checking for the sake of double checking that well, i think what has actually happened is the makeup of your cost of goods souls has actually changed you might have a qc person that's now doing inspections to make everything is the way you you need it to be you might have a a project manager that spends part of their time on site, but part of the time in the office. And so they're kind of like this blended overhead role. Like your, what it costs you to build the things you build will actually have changed between one and two. And so that it's not just a double check. It's actually like a re-examination to, I think in most cases, you're probably bolstering your pricing a little bit um, uh, to make up for that. But that's, that's, that's mostly what it's about in stage two. It's not, it's not just a double check. Yep. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's just like, it's just gotta be dialed in. It's, mm-hmm. There's, there's no, if, if it's not stop everything and dial it in, I think it's, yeah. it, there's no, it's hard to move forward if that's not secure. 
Um, the other thing that I see that happens here is you've kind of maximized your network for the different jobs you have. Like when you first start out, your first couple hires are usually people that you already knew or somebody that knew somebody that needed to, you know, come work for you. All of a sudden you got to get really good at recruiting and hiring and onboarding and training and leadership because you need to keep them. Um, and so early on we have this obsession about marketing and there's a tipping point here where all, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to go find the clients and then I'll go find the employees. And there's like a tipping point in here where it's like, oh shit, I need to go find the employees first. Mm -hmm. That's the hard thing to find. Mm -hmm. So you get really obsessive about recruiting here. A, because if you're going to keep growing, you need to go find good people. But now you've got five, six, seven people on your team and somebody's going to leave. They got a better offer somewhere. They got like, now you're going to need to replace them because they aren't your brother-in-law. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, there's, there's they're just Joe who you hire. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And they're going to leave and you're going to need to replace them. So you have to get really good about the recruiting, hiring, training, that sort of thing. Um, I also find that because part of the cost problem here tends to be your marketing, like you've, you've exhausted some of the marketing stuff that you can use. Um, it pays to really get good at dialing in your acquisition cost tracking. Where are the leads coming from? How much do you pay per lead? What's the conversion rate on that type of lead? Mm. What's your client acquisition cost overall? And then you're, and then not even by like source, but just overall, what like how much should you be paying for a new client after you convert them? Focusing on that acquisition cost, and you can probably do the same on the recruiting side, but really dialing that in so that you know when you throw your next marketing bullet, you're throwing it in the right place. Right, Early because on, we're just kind of using our gut. Yeah, or like it's not even necessarily you're using your gut. It's like there isn't that much to track. Like 98% of your business is word of mouth referrals and previous mm -hmm. clients. It's not like there's like it's not like you're you're uh you know spent like cashing checks on a whole bunch of ad spend or trying all these different tactics and you need to have this careful analysis of what's creating an ROI. Your leads, yeah. they're not free, but they're as close to free as they ever get for you at those early stages. Whereas in purgatory stage two, you know. Uh, you, you actually are like, it, you know, it might be a percent, it might be two, it might be 6% of your overall revenue, depending on your senior market that you're spending on marketing. It's really mm -hmm. freaking important to know which ones are your winners, which channels, which lead sources are your winners yep. and which ones are your yep. losers. So that's what, that's what you just want to make sure I understand. Like, that's what you mean when you say, um, f figuring your, your cost, figure out your cost to acquire. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, just so you know, we're like when you're throwing those bullets out there that they're hitting home, that you're mm -hmm. putting them in the right spot. Mm -hmm. Um, it, get, it gets to be real money, real money in, in purgatory too. Um, a couple more things that office manager role, like that little part-time admin that you first hired that, that morphs into a Frankenstein of like, it better <laughs> be an office manager. Right. It's gotta be somebody. It has to be somebody that can like basically run your business. They're the traffic controller. Every customer goes through them. Every employee touches them. They're like the quarterback of your team and you're the coach. Um, that office manager role just gets so critical. They touch everything and they're very influential. If they're having a bad day, your customers are going to know about it. Your employees are going to know about it, right? Like your team sees them more than they see you. Mm -hmm. And so that that office manager role, that like coordinator of all the things starts to become a really imperative person in your business and in, in purgatory level two. Have you noticed that most business owners need to go out and acquire a new person to fill that office manager role or do they or do they get lucky and have someone that grows into it? I'm sure it's a bit of both, but I, I guess gonna say, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure every once in a while you have someone who like just acts like, you know, whether they knew it or not, hired someone who does have the capacity to grow into that true. Because I think what you're saying mm -hmm. is they do need to have leadership capacity like that absolutely yep. needs to be baked into their DNA. Office manager that term needs a bit of a rethink, especially in this industry, because it's not really just it's not an office manager. It's almost like an offensive coordinator to use a football term like they're doing yeah. a lot. Um, and so. Yeah, that, that, I'm being long-winded, but my question is, if someone is getting to a stage where the admin or the support person that they hired in the first couple of years is the business has outgrown what they can do, um, you know, how sh what should we look for in a really, really good office manager who has that leadership capacity to 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 do what we need them to do? I, it, like. 
more than anything with this role, it's culture and core values. Like, are they a good cultural fit? And do they hit the core values on the head? The the role itself, like the execution of the things that they need to do are not rocket science. It's more about reliability and behaviors. Mm. So I to what you said, like, do we need to go find a new person or not? I have seen it both ways unintentionally. My buddy Bobby has one of the best office managers I've run into. Like she runs the show. He basically like checked out of the business. She runs the show. Uh, when she was hired, she wasn't hired to run the show, but she is now like a leadership team member as he goes through purgatory level three, uh, which we'll get to. Um, I have had it in our business where we had that person as an office manager and we were like, no, like they can do the job fine, yeah. but they can't, they can't lead the people and they can't make a decision without having to run it by the owner. Right. They can't, they can't decide here's the, we got to go back out to this customer. We got to go do that. You need to go over here and do this. They can't traffic control without yeah. like getting some sort of affirmation. They can't run the business. And so in that case, I would say if they can't, if you can't leave for three days and they, and they handle everything while you're gone, then you should probably go find a new person that wants that level of stress and decision-making. Yeah. Cause, cause sometimes in that role, they don't want that level of, of stress and decision-making, right? They just want to be, they want to be told what to do and go execute. And that's totally fine too. That's just like becomes kind of your scheduler dispatcher, sure. you know, maybe customer service or phone salesperson, but it's not your manager not your leader sure sure I, lo I love that point uh about about culture and core values specifically in that office manager role uh anything else to move through stage two faster um the last little bullet would just be buying your assets the right way early on i see a lot of guys want to buy stuff with like cash or no money you know right. like no financing like there's a pride and post in about it having on facebook yeah yeah, yeah, they want to brag about, like, I just bought this $50,000 truck right. and I didn't have to take out a loan. The reality is, like, that's stupid. You should have taken out a loan because right. in, in Purgatory Level 2, you need all that money for the marketing and the recruiting because that truck isn't worth shit without the dude on it and without the customer for it to go to. So making sure now, – now, we have a rule in our business that we put either, you know, like 25 to 30% down on every single asset and we finance the rest. And we put that amount down because we don't want to end up – upside down on it. Mm -hmm. Like if, if this thing gets trashed, at least we'll have like an insurance claim that'll basically pay us back for it. But we never want to be handcuffed to a thing and upside down where like the value of it is worth less than the money we owe on it. Right. Like right. that's a shitty position to be in. Theory. You have no, you have no decisions that you can make besides you just got to keep making the monthly payments for the thing you don't love. Um, yeah. If you finance it right, you never get in that position and you have plenty of cash left over to go grow your business with. And for you guys, that's 30% down and finance the rest most of the time. That's a, that's a yep. good little heuristic people can remember. Um, okay, let's talk about purgatory stage three for small average job size. Dan and I figure it's about, nine, you say it's about 900K a year. Yeah, it tends to be when you're bumping up. Like I, I see a lot of times where people want to get to a million in yeah. like the window cleaning and pressure washing space that I'm really exposed to. Everybody wants to get to a million. It's a nice round, and then number. they like get and they get around there, and they're like, "This Shit, sucks." Yeah, this sucks. Yeah, like why does everybody want to get here? Yeah, yeah. And then for for contractors, mid to large average job size, it would be somewhere around five million. Again, not a perfect science, but that's that's our guess. Um, what are the, what are the root causes here? Man, I think like you finally get your managers performing and you get through that purgatory level two, where you feel like, like air quotes, like you've got decent leadership yeah. going. And so now, now, now is really the point. And this happened to me in my bookkeeping business. I was telling you about this a couple weeks ago, um, uh, where, you're like, I have the right people. I have everything that we need to like shoot this thing to the moon. And now the next time I make one of these big pushes, it really is just going to keep doubling and keep doubling and keep doubling. Like I'm done. This is where you're like, I'm glad I'm never going to have to do one of those purgatories again. And so now you make that big push because you have the right people in the right places. And so like sky's the limit. Mm -hmm. Well, the challenge is like your managers are good at managing maybe the process now but it doesn't mean they're a great leader, mm -hmm. right? And this is where you start to find out the difference between managing and leading. 
and and that those can be two very different things. And so you start pushing really hard and the the new problems that you start creating, A, like you're, you're spread really thin. You're just kind of a CEO at this point. So you're, you're spread pretty thin and your managers haven't solved these problems before. Yeah. The other thing that I, uh, I think that t- ties into this idea that we talk about a lot in Breakthrough Academy is keeping an incredibly close eye on your overhead efficiency. And the idea is pretty simple. Um, the worker bee type roles, laborers, carpenters, technicians, foremen, people that are on site completing work, it's really easy to see their productivity because at the end of the day or the end of the week, you can usually reach out and touch it. Like it's right that you did it or you didn't do it. Um, whereas with roles that fit squarely into overhead, so these are managers, uh, you know, think like that, that office manager position, uh, probably you will have someone that's doing, doing some marketing stuff for you, maybe a marketing manager, uh, perhaps an operations manager, depending on the shape of your org chart and the industry you're in, you know, fill in the blanks for your own business. You're going to have people who are not on site. They're paid a good amount of money, but they're not on site building the thing, creating the thing that you get paid for. These mm-hmm. It's so much more abstract to say, yes, you got done what you needed to get done to create the ROI on what I pay you because, yeah. because the nature of the role, you know, one person is working with their body and their hands and, and, and it's, a, it's very physical. It's a very manual thing. One is like they're working with their mind. And so can you actually, can you see it? It's not as easy. And that's why you tend to see overhead become wildly inefficient around purgatory stage three. And it's pretty uncommon. It's not uncommon for people to almost like resent these people who are actually doing a pretty good job. It's just the leader doesn't have visibility into this person's performing versus this person is not. It's just all expenses. Yep. And there's a goofy thing. Um, there's a conundrum there with the technician versus the admin person. Um, which is part of it is administrative people make it really easy to look busy. They look busy. They talk busy. When you ask them how their day is going, they always tell you about how busy they are. Like they're, they're always working. It's just really freaking hard to tell if they're working on shit that grows your revenue or not. Um, because they tend to get sucked into just like doing work for the sake of doing work. At least the guy out in the field, like he knows the work that he's doing to, to like get to the completion but the person that answers the phone, it's like if that was a 20-minute phone call, I mean, should it have been a five-minute phone call right. or did it need to be a 20-minute phone call? Or they send an email and it was four paragraphs long. Well, like should it have just been four sentences long and they right. just wasted a bunch of time typing a four-paragraph email? So like you said, the efficiency is goofy. The other conundrum I find is um, – and part of the reason why, why it tends to be that we get fat on that admin line, like you see it in corporate all the time. Where yeah. they have to do these big like riffs, these reduction in forces, where they like thousands of people go, it's because they just get super fat there. Because we tend to like we we like those employees. They right. they're easier for us to manage as an owner. They they like call in sick less. Even if they are sick, they can still do their job from home. They don't bring. They don't have the same types of problems that some of our technicians maybe have. So they're easier for us to manage. So therefore, we like give them the benefit of the doubt. They're like easier people to manage, harder to tell if they're being productive or not. The people in the field, way easier to tell if they're being productive and doing what they're but supposed to do. harder to manage. Harder to manage. Yeah. So it's just this like super weird conundrum. And I, I don't know that there's a right answer to it, but I do see that especially that administrative overhead burden start to get really fat here in Purgatory 3 because it's like, yeah, do I need two people or do I need four people? And if I, I guarantee whether you have two or four, they're all busy. It doesn't matter. You mm-hmm. you could have ten. They're all going to be busy. They're all going to mm-hmm. justify themselves. But like, how much can you really afford? How many people do you really need at that level? It's not as many as you think. It's not as many as you think. People get overzealous. I think at this stage mm-hmm. where you've got some significant revenue coming in the door, and let's be honest, it's a bit of an ego stroke to say you have a marketing mm-hmm. manager, to say you have a leadership team, whatever. And I'm not. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pursue those things. You absolutely should and you need to in time. Um, It's just that 
the, the comment that you made that really resonates with me is how, how these roles tend to be like so busy. I'm so swamped and they, they're vocal about yeah. it. And it's like, I'm not doubting that you are working long hours, but I am, I am questioning like, what did you actually do? Like, what did you do? Yeah, how much money did you make us with this, the thing that you did? Right. Well, I had to do, I had, I had to do these things right. because we, because the, the process or it's, yeah, it's, I, it's, yeah. so I, I totally feel that. And I'm sure some listeners are as well. What are the, um, what are the, what are the, the sort of the ways to expedite our, what's the fastest path to cut through this? So I think specifically on that admin bucket, it's just having a percent of revenue that you can allocate to it. And you've got to be like rigid about it. And if you start to go over that percent of your revenue, like we use 15% in our, in our business where we're more, we spend more on the marketing, maybe a little bit less on the admin. So there's like a trade off there of bringing in leads versus converting leads and how when much you, you say admin it's not it's not 15 percent of revenue on administrators you're using that term to describe basically overhead roles managerial I'm saying roles, like non-job just the administrative roles. overhead people yep so it's it's it'd be like your salesperson your customer service person your office manager maybe you yeah. um yeah. depending on if you're in the field or not and how you do that but so so yeah like your your admin team your your people not out in the field basically any Correct. wages your, yeah. your bookkeeper your nerdy bookkeeper yeah um so, so I think just making sure you have a target spend on that. And if it starts to go over that, you start making hard decisions. Because otherwise, like you like these people, you're going to have a hard time making hard decisions about getting them off the bus or moving them to a different seat on the bus. Yeah. So it needs to be non-emotional. It needs to be like a monetary, like either either somebody needs to go or instead of being at $3 million, we got to get to 4.5 to be able to afford this group of people we have right now. So this group of people we have right now better start growing this revenue to get to 4.5. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. And, and what else? I think how you acquire clients starts to change here. One is that you've probably exhausted a ton of your marketing efforts at this point, um, like the low hanging fruit. So have a little bit of a marketing R and D budget. Don't be afraid to set aside 50,000 bucks a year to like try some radio, try some TV, try some billboard, like whatever it is, depending on your industry, different things work, but you're going to exhaust the simple like paper and digital stuff that you can do. And that's okay. Just start like thinking about what those other bullets are that you can fire and have a little R&D, almost like you're making an investment in the stock market where it's like, I don't care if I lose, I just got to go like learn what I can learn about this thing. And you'll hit some and you'll miss some, but I think it's important to explore other opportunities to find those silver bullets because because flyers and job signs and referrals only get you so far and if you're going to get beyond this stage you do need a bit of a marketing engine is kind of what you're what you're saying and and to do that there's r&d you, you like put some, hey you know what? i'm gonna put you know 50 grand's a lot but whatever like i'm gonna put this much on red 12 and let's just see if we hit and if it doesn't that's okay because one of the one some of the chips i put on the table will and that is what will yep. take us to the next level not to use that cliche but like what got you here won't get you there and, and mark figuring mm-hmm. out marketing is a big part of that so you're saying create an r&d budget i love that yeah set some money aside to have some fun with um you're just going to vegas but but your business might win because of it um the other way i would think about getting clients here is because like you're you're still in purgatory level three you're like still making money you're not purgatory level one where you like went oh shit i don't have any money left Purgatory level three is just frustrating. Like you're still profitable generally, but it's like, but I'm not nearly as profitable as I should be. You're still making some money. Um, I like looking at acquisitions is a great way to get clients. Hmm. Go buy a client list, go buy somebody else's business and get their recurring revenue or, you know, whatever, whatever value it has to you. Um, so I think exploring acquisitions at this level is a great way to slowly like keep adding on to your business. Now, yeah, you might get a bunch of clients, even better, you might get a bunch of great employees. That would be like the the real, you know, win on that. Um, and the last thing I would say is what got you here was good managers, but what's going to get you through here is good leaders. And so investing in like the right people in the right seats and building out that leadership team, partially because they deserve it. Like you need to invest in your people and you need to give them the skill set to be good leaders, but also you need it. Cause you're, you're probably looking at other companies to invest in at this point, And you're, you're in different places at different times. You can't be there for everybody at all the time. Your leadership team needs to be able to run the business for weeks with you gone. And they can't do that if they're just managers because they're going to need you too much. 
So really like developing a leadership team, empowering people. And you, I, I use this as an adjective and, and somebody in a CEO roundtable group um, had used this. And I was like, that's just so perfect. She said like, I, I just need to keep CEOing. Mm-hmm. CEOing mm-hmm. is what she said. And I was like, oh yeah, so like her- you're doing, you're, you're doing the CEO. You're doing that job. Like not, I am the CEO. I'm busy CEOing because right. I'm doing the right stuff and letting my team run the business. The CEO doesn't run the business. The CEO is setting the vision and making sure everybody has what they need to run the business. So all that stuff laid out there really beautifully between stages one, two, and three, we talked about root causes and then we talked about some shortcuts to get through these, uh, these, these painful chapters faster. Any closing thoughts around like, you know, why this conversation matters or, or just like general advice to business owners who are, um, at or approaching one of these stages in their journey? My advice is very self-serving, which is have a good bookkeeper. That's like a finance person that can help you with this stuff because chances are you didn't start your business to keep track of a bunch of shit. You probably started it because you were good at the thing or you like to do the thing and you're maybe not a good accountant. So make sure you have a good bookkeeper. You know, I'll raise my hand if you need one. Um, Get somebody on your team that can help organize your finances because all of these decisions just come back to knowing your numbers. You can't make decisions if you don't know your numbers really well. So that would be like the first thing. Make sure you have good data so you can go make good decisions. The other thing I'd say is like know when you're going into these purgatories and it's it's uh, it's, this is some coaching advice I got back in my corporate days. If you can't tell, like I run I run a little hot. I'm always on fire. I'm just, I'm just going full speed. Um, in my corporate days, I got some like leadership coaching. I was in this program. And one of the things that kind of came out of my coaching was to do a better job of um, talking about my emotions instead of just expressing them. And right. I'll relate this, how this fits in, which like has come in really handy in my marriage instead of me just being like raging pissed off when I have a bad day, instead of just being raging pissed off to, to tell my spouse that, Hey, Marty, like I'm having a rough day. Like here's some of the shit that happened to me. And so if I'm a little on edge, this is what's going on. That feels a whole lot different than what the hell is the dishwasher doing that's not unloaded right now, right? Like it's the same thing that's causing it. But one is me explaining what I'm feeling and the other is me expressing what I'm feeling. So they're two totally different feelings. And so I think as we go through these purgatories, like don't just express your feelings about it. Talk about what's going on in it. Because like you need to be coping with these things and why you're profit, why you're working so hard and why your profitability is down because these it takes a lot of work. Like these, it's not just like do a bunch of things. Like all these things take a lot of work. Talk about it with your team. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with whoever your support network is. Don't just express to them your frustrations. Yeah, I, and and realize if I can just tack one thing onto that, realize that this is a natural and normal and very predictable part of the journey. You're not going crazy. You're not a bad business mm-hmm. owner. You haven't made a huge irreversible mistake. The ship isn't sinking. This is just kind of part of the trajectory. It's not unlike, it's like if you look at any graph of macroeconomics over the last hundred years, they move in the same way. It's like goes like this and then it's, uh, it sucks for a little bit and then it goes back up and then it sucks for a little bit. It's crazy how you see these patterns everywhere and since the growth of a small business is, it reflects that too. Where can, uh, let's, let's, let's leave it at that for today, Dan. This is just such a great conversation that people want to pick up this thread or ask you more questions about maybe some intricacies about these, these purgatories, uh, where can people connect with you? Where would you send them? First, I'd say go check us out on the old Facebook and the YouTube bookkeeping beer and BS. I think we got, we got an Instagram and a TikTok and all the different stuff. Um, but if you want to like interact directly with me, go check us out on Facebook and join the bookkeeping beer and BS group. Always just trying to drop useful content for business owners uh, mm-hmm. Very, very light on the bookkeeping, you know, probably heavier on the, the beer and the <laughs> beer BS. And BS. That's just me. Um, and, and I've got I do like two shows a week. We, have, we do one specific for the landscaping, lawn care industry on Turfs Up Radio. And then I do another I call the late night happy hour show where I'm just talking to business owners about, you know, what's going on in their business in the world. Um, so go check out Bookkeeping Beer and BS. If you want to, like, check out our services, the recruiting and the bookkeeping that we mentioned, again, all for home service businesses. Our website is yourblueskies.com. 
Sky is spelled S K I E S. Um, go check that out. You can book a demo with me right on that. So if you want to just like pick my brain or check out what we do on the bookkeeping side, which is awesome, by the way, um, just go right onto our website and book a demo. Um, and that's it. I'm just I'm just here to help business owners not be scared of their numbers, and that's why I like to drink beer when I talk to people about it because. It's important to chill and realize that we can have a good time while we help make money for people too. Um, I love it, man. I, and I, I would just piggyback on that by saying we, we really like, we, we love Dan. We, we love blue sky. Like th- these guys are very legit. Uh, if, if you are maybe not happy with your current bookkeeping situation or you need help in other areas, uh, they have our endorsement. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. And I hope I get to see you in person again sometime soon. Hell yeah. Thanks, Benji. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.